is back on. There we go. Wonderful. Right. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, I shall go up a step just because then I feel slightly better and I've got something to put my Bible in bits. So good evening. Um, thank you. Thank you to Martin uh, and to Rose for kind of leading us. Um, every now and then, because I'm on the road to do these things, um, I get a piece of paper and it comes around and it says what date I'm doing um, and what the Bible reading is and then what the sort of subject heading is. Um, and I kind of looked it up today, or not quite today, looked it up for today, uh, a little while ago, and it said 1 Peter 5, any other, um, sound leadership. And my initial thought was, I'm looking in the wrong column because I, I don't need to know who's on the sound desk. Um, and then I realised that with Martin in the room, in the same week as it's been his birthday, I get to talk about sound leadership feeling really positive about that hopefully don't run away too far it's not that bad um and then i got a note from rose saying what kind of music would you like and i thought okay i I didn't make a selection but there was a little part of me that thought if it goes really badly i shall need the belly benny hill theme song as i run around and martin chases me for saying something dodgy about his leadership so we should be okay um okay so yesterday um i have two children uh, and a wife and we went out um, to Playopolis, which is a cafe in town where you have board games to play. Um, and we had a lovely afternoon there. And we played a game which was like Trivial Pursuit. And a question came up and I went, oh, fantastic. I could use that tomorrow evening. That would be helpful. Okay, so the question is, that I want you to think about, what's the fewest number of people you need to be able to have a three-legged race? My wife got this really quickly, and I was kind of going, okay, so any answers? One person for a three-legged race? Two. Okay, so two people. Any advance on two? One dog with his leg tied up. up. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sound leadership. eh? And he gives comments like that from the back. Okay. Two, my thought was two, but my wife said instantly four. And I have to say, part of me went, how would you do that? And then I realised, if you have two people, you're doing a three-legged run. So you do need four people to do a three-legged race. And the reason I thought it was appropriate today, sound leaders obviously need to have sound followers. There's no point in having a leader all on their own. They need to have people to follow, or people who will follow them. And that sets a bit of a challenge, Um, particularly when you think about where we are in the world today. I'm very sorry to go political, um, and I shall try to not um, suggest which way is right or accurate. But if you look at what's happening in the political world today, um, in the US, you have a man who has been elected without the majority of people voting for him, who, rather to everybody's surprise, is doing exactly what he said he would, in issuing a variety of orders that people perhaps are struggling to accept. Um, And yesterday, I don't know if you were aware, kind of latest um, thing that appeared on various social media forms was an argument between Piers Morgan and somebody else. Um, Got a bit of bad language, so I won't use that. Um, But Piers Morgan made some comment about, let him get on with it. He's doing some good work. You know, he's doing some good things. And the response back from, this, from an Australian comedian who said, 
Hitler didn't, still, didn't, didn't start killing the Jews on the first day. And it's that kind of interesting thing about people who are following and being led by Donald Trump. That on one side, he appears to be doing things which is quite opposed to Muslims. Muslims come in and, and a lot of the terrorists that have happened have been Muslims. There have been others. Um, apparently you're more likely to be killed by a white person with a gun in America than you are a Muslim terrorist. But there is an argument of it keeping them safe. But it does mean that they're banning a large number of people who are very desperate and needy for help. In the UK, um, if you follow the political things, you'll have noticed this week that the government decided to go back on a promise they'd made earlier to take in 3,000 unaccompanied refugees um, and we're only taking in 350. And the same thing where we had a vote about Brexit where the split between was 4%, 2%. 52% voted one way, 48 voted the other way. And it meant that in the House of Commons this last week, a bunch of parliamentarians who, if they'd been allowed to vote the way they wanted to vote, would have voted for something different by all accounts. So they were voting against something that they believe is in the best interest of the country because of what the electorate had said. So there's some interesting things about leadership and following and how do you do that and do you follow obediently and blindly? How do you question? What do you do? And this morning Martin preached about um, kind of Ezra and the work that he'd done in bringing people out of exile back to Jerusalem and some of the turmoil that had been caused by what happened there. Um, and perhaps, shout if I'm misquoting you, but suggesting that maybe the way that Ezra dealt with that wasn't sensitive. And, and maybe, possibly, led to other problems later. And certainly led to somebody else within the Bible, another prophet kind of around at the same time, putting remarks out there to say maybe Ezra was doing the wrong thing. Um, kind of an interesting match of things. So then I went back to look at kind of what the Bible said um, about leaders. And do you know what? It's really scary how much authority biblical leaders have. And we talk about kind of the leaders that we have today, um, politicians and maybe church leaders and maybe kind of your boss at work and all kind of things. Um, but actually Ezra had the authority to decide who people could be married to. And he used that to say, no, no, no we can't be married to these people anymore. You need to send those women and their children away. That's quite harsh. Some of the New Testament stuff, um, I'll give you just a selection. Um, in Acts 16, it talks about, um, I'm very sorry, I was doing this, um, I, I've written down, my computer wasn't, wasn't working quite as properly this week, so normally I cut and paste, but I had to do it by hand this week. Um, so I don't know who they are, so apologies for that. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for all to follow, for all, for all the people to obey. There wasn't anything about, we're bringing this news from Jerusalem and we're going to see if it works well in your church. It was, we are bringing this from Jerusalem for everybody to obey. 
Paul writing to the Corinthians. This is why I write these things when I'm absent. That when I come to you, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. But there's mention of harsh authority. 1 Corinthians 5. I've already passed judgment on the one who did this. When you are assembled, hand this man over to Satan. Um, And in Titus, warn a divisive person once, then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. There is some real authority and real power within church leadership at older times. Quite a surprising amount. But some of the instructions we heard about in Peter and some of the other ones suggest that just maybe... Not everything was great and rosy with church leaders at that time. Um, I apologise because I've got a different version of the Bible to the one which Martin was reading. But there was a bit about be shepherds of God's flocks, not because um, you must, but because you're willing. As God wants you to be not greedy for money. Not lording it over those entrusted to you. Suggests that just maybe there'd been some problems in church leadership in those days. And if you look in some passages in Titus, um, there was quite a lot of things where they said, your church leader shouldn't be like this. And it does make you think, hmm, I wonder what was going on. Shouldn't be overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness not violent and not pursuing dishonest gain sounds like a great place doesn't it if Paul or Titus had to write that Um, sadly I would say it continues today Uh, a friend of uh, Claire, my wife um, she has just had a book published Um, they grew up together Uh, and went to the same church for a long time. Uh, We were at their wedding, which was a good few years ago. Uh, We've been to see them a couple of times because they live up north. Her husband is still going to church, was involved in church leadership for a while. Um, And this week, um, she was interviewed by The Guardian because she'd had this book published. Um, So sorry to go technical, but I wanted to read a little bit of what she said. Um, uh, this person knows personally painfully what it's like to have faith and then lose it born in 1980 raised as an evangelical Christian by her family in Tame just a few miles from Oxford she would later spend 10 years living in an evangelical community in a small town near Preston but life at the church where her husband was employed as a youth worker became difficult she says that she and her family experienced some bullying and fairly abusive controlling manipulation. That then led to a proper crisis of faith. By 2014, things reached breaking point. We chose to leave a church where the leader and leadership couldn't be questioned or challenged, she says. We were told that we were disloyal and pharisaical for disagreeing with those in charge. As a family, we felt we couldn't stay. Losing her Christian faith, she says, was the worst thing she could imagine. 
It's sad to know that some of those things, I'm not suggesting they were violent, but I am suggesting that perhaps they were overbearing. Perhaps they were a little bit dominating in the way that they chose to run their church. And that led to a friend of mine um, who Claire's known for years, who we asked a long time ago now to be a praying friend for our eldest daughter. Um, We were in a Baptist church at the time where they don't do godparents, but in essence we asked her to be a godparent to our eldest because we thought she was firm in her faith. We thought that actually she would be, and she is, I'm not saying anything that she's not, a good influence to Eloise, our eldest, but I'm not quite sure she's there as a good Christian influence anymore because in her church there wasn't that kind of sound leadership so if we're in a place where sometimes there might not be sound leadership what do we do about that I'm not saying anything about here just before I get something heavy thrown at me from the back I'm not saying anything about that at all Um, There is, as you know, the leadership of this church, which sits with Martin. Um, There is leadership of house groups. There are leadership of children's work. There is leadership of other things within the church. No doubt you have other groups that you are involved in when there is a leader or someone who acts in that position. Um, What do you do? Because the Bible talks about... If there's something you need to raise with somebody, then there should be two or three of you that go to see that person together and talk to them about it, which is good. But on the other hand, if you've got an issue with the way somebody else is behaving, how do you find out if there are two or three other people who feel the same? And how do you do that without gossiping? which is something that we know the Bible speaks against. And I'm not sure I have an answer. Because the other thing we don't want to do is to foster a church environment where we say it's okay to not have two or three other people if there's something going on. Just go and have a chat with the person every time there's a problem. Um, My my dad used to be, uh, he's retired now, but he used to be a minister. Um, and he'll tell you, and some of the leadership that the life had involved will tell you that if you, there is no proper volume for church worship. Somebody will find it too quiet, somebody else will find it too loud. There is no correct length for a sermon. Some people will find it too short, some people will find it too long. Um, my father, and this is a kind of a, the similar thing, my father was on a um, committee for a group of almshouses for retired church folk, church ladies to retire. Um, and they had the slight misfortune of having, not misfortune, of having someone who'd been an, a missionary to India who lived below someone who had sort of not really had a great deal when they were growing up. So the person below was used to Indian temperatures and set her thermostat accordingly. 
the person above was used to slightly more colder climes. And we would regularly get phone calls saying, it's too hot or it's too cold, even though it's the same temperature. So there isn't a right thing. People come to church in different ways and expect things. And the last thing that, that we would want for Martin is to have that handshake at the door as you go out to go, well, yeah, here's my score for today. Thanks very much. Um, here's my score for the week. Are you doing okay? I know um, that... Even visiting the sick can be a challenge. I'm sure uh, that Martin won't tell you stories because he's too good like that. But I will because I can get away with it. Of people who complain that they're not visited enough. At the same time, trying to get that balance between not being there enough, not going when you're not invited, allowing other people in the church to develop their skills and gifts and their friendships to go and visit so it is a tough old call Um, and we as sound followers should understand that support Martin but at the same time there is that kind of issue that if things are going wrong and there are concerns what do you do about it my suggestion is that Martin just randomly allocates somebody to do a sermon about it and sits at the back and listens. But I don't know. So we better turn to the kind of things where it talks about... Um, <laughs> sorry. There's a bit of a verse I found where it said that leaders should be shrewd as foxes, as innocent as doves. So perhaps that's why Martin got somebody else to speak on this topic. Um, so the Bible tells us some things about leaders... Partly in that Peter passage, but partly elsewhere. I was going to some, I was kind of ready to say this and had most of it written down um, yesterday um, that all leaders are called. And there's a lot of that in the Bible. You hear about the, the call of Saul, the king. You hear about the calling of David, the calling of prophets. Um, Jesus is kind of anointing at baptism. That kind of thing where people are set apart to be leaders. And then I read up this afternoon and I can't find any place where Ezra was called to be a leader. It talks about he was someone who had a lot of knowledge and had done a lot of study and ended up being appointed by the king of where they were in exile to be the leader and do this work. But it doesn't talk about him being called. Zerubbabel, who he worked with, was called. But I couldn't find anywhere where Ezra was called. And I just thought it was an interesting note. If you were here this morning, um, kind of to think about what happened with him and where he was doing it. So interesting stuff. Sorry, I digress slightly. Um, Okay, so leaders. Back in Joshua's time. um, Joshua put two things which I think kind of resonated and still resonate today. Um, Joshua chapter 23 don't associate with other nations now that's not me suggesting that Martin or those of us in leadership or those of you in leadership should be xenophobic and this isn't some suggestion that Brexit is the way forward that we shouldn't associate with other nations it's not that at the time at which it was written it was saying 
the Jewish people should be separate from the others around them. And you, as a leader, don't even go there. Don't even start to get to know those people in other nations and other countries. Stick with your purpose in mind. And the other thing that Joshua said, which I guess is kind of the similar thing, follow the book of Moses. You've got the word of the Lord here. Follow that. Those were the things he said. Matthew talks about if somebody wants to become great, they're going to have to be a servant. Well, Jesus in Matthew talks about that. Corinthians, it talks about renouncing secret and shameful ways. In Peter. And these are good things for all of us to think about, not only those in leadership. Lead, not because you must, but because you're willing. Do things for God, not because you must, not because there's an obligation to do so, but because you're willing, because it's something you want to do. Be eager to serve. Not lording over the others entrusted to you. Not being proud or boastful in what God gives you to do. But being examples to the flock by being an example to others. And some interesting bits from, chapter, from Titus as well. Which talked about be hospitable. To love what is good. To encourage others and hold firm to the message that Paul, in that case, had entrusted to them. And I guess those were the bits that I felt when I was looking at things that seemed to be really resonating out as the things that we would hope from those in leadership over us and the things that we, in whatever role of leadership we have, ought to seek to do. Peter talks about being self-controlled and alert. I think the way that the version that Martin had didn't have quite self-controlled. But that bit at the end where it talks about beware your enemy, the devil prowls around you. But be self-controlled and alert. Joshua's idea, keep away from other nations. And Titus's love what is good seem to be about making sure that you're aware of what you're thinking about. You're avoiding the things that might lead you down paths that you shouldn't go down. Stand firm in the faith is something that, that um, Peter says in that bit there. Uh, after the devil bit, resist the devil. Stand firm in the faith because you know your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Joshua talked about following the law of Moses. Titus said, hold firm to the message. And in Second Thessalonians, there's a bit about don't try to please men, but please God. And the last thing which kind of appeared, struck to me as I was looking at the passages was the bit about not lording over other people but being an example to the flock and Titus's thing to encourage others. So sound leadership, which is what we were asked to think about, isn't easy because as sound leaders... We need to have people who will follow. People 
who perhaps don't follow uncritically but are able to find a way to guide and support and that's not easy and I wish I had a clearer answer for you. But at the end of the day, we share one thing with those in leadership over us, which is that actually we have a greater leader above that we should follow together. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you that you have put us in a place where we can have leaders and support and guidance that actually there is a well established church in this country where there is an authority structure and support and training and teaching available and we pray for those around the world who don't have that Lord, we pray for uh, Martin, for Adele and for Steve, for those in leadership and authority within this church. We pray for Bishop James and for our archbishops as well, as they seek to lead us in what are very turbulent times. And Lord, we pray for us. Lord, teach us and guide us when to follow. When to raise concerns and how to do that. And when to accept that maybe you are leading where we might not want to go. But that is the place that we need to be. Amen.